What's up, everyone, and welcome into the Buffalo Sports Collective. It is Friday, February 23rd, 2024. As always, I am PK alongside my co-host, Phil, for episode 261. Phil, we're 39 away from the big 300. I think I did the math, and we will hit that around May or June because uh, two episodes a week. It's like, what, 10 more weeks? And uh, there's the quick math for you. So uh, we're say, close. Look at that math you got flying out there. <laughs> trying for it, trying for it. I am a mathematician for those of you that have just started listening to this episode. Um, I can do quick math. Phil, give me an addition problem. I, uh, I can do this real quick. 72, 546 plus 9,230. That's 10,042. Dead on. <laughs> Don't double check that. Don't fact check that whatsoever. <laughs> it's got to be close. I should have just given you like three plus three. Just really. That's let what you, I was hoping you're gonna do. Let you lean into I it. Known. Yeah, I no, should have That's my bad. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I should have supported you and your mathematician skills. That's. Well, as we know, later on in this episode, we got some uh, heated debate. This might be the first time we've actually argue on this show and i'm excited for it i can't wait for it so we're gonna dive into this one remember you can follow us on facebook instagram threads and even tiktok at buffalo sports (laughs) collective and on x and blue sky at buffalo sports co don't forget to subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts remember we are on youtube as well so you can see this face and phil's face on the youtube version of the video and i wouldn't recommend it but if you don't like podcasts go check us out there Uh, check out our website at buffalo sports collective.com phil's article dropped on Tuesday for the Halifax Bills, or I did it, Phil. I did it. It's been right a long time. Bat. Halifax Bandits uh, pre or uh, reaction, I should say, on Tuesday, and then my power rankings dropped on Thursday. And then look for the time breakdown in the description of the show, so you can skip the Sabers segment right here. Monday versus the Ducks. It was a uh, afternoon game, I believe. It was a twelve thirty start. They lost four to three. Doesn't matter what time they started. Greenway, Tage, and Benson were the goal scorers. UPL. Yeah, this is a real number here, Phil. 11 of 15 saves, <laughs> and the shots were 37 to 15 in favor of Buffalo. Yes, they lost that one. And then Wednesday, in Buffalo fashion versus Montreal, they won this one 3-2. Gergensen, Skinner, and Tuck were the goal scorers. This time, UPL, 29 of 31 saves. Shots were 31 to 23 in favor of Montreal. Phil, it's been a weird situation where when Buffalo outshoots the opposing team, they lose, but when they get outshot, they win, and it's it's just another you know um, feather in the cap of a weird, weird, and disappointing Buffalo Sabres team. I do like it though. I like when they don't shoot as much. I mean, Agreed. I don't want them to shoot never. Like sometimes teams can get in that funk where they're like looking for that perfect opportunity a little too much. But I also like we've talked about a lot, don't like when they sit very comfortably from the point and just throw pucks at the net with no one really in front and then kind of rack up 50 shots compared to another team's 25 and the other team had a lot more high danger opportunities and they end up, you know, losing the game five to two and they they wonder like, what? well, we had so many shots, why didn't we win the game? But, you know, high danger opportunities mean a lot more and even if with that Ducks game, I mean, UPL definitely had some that he wanted back, but at the same time, the defense did horrible on a few breakdowns where the Ducks took a massive opportunity and scored. I mean, UPL was hung up to dry arguably on three of them. I know two of them. The one definitely squeaked past him. The other one that ended up getting tipped in, it was still a really good play by the Ducks to get a really hard one-timer through UPL, and then it was tapped in because he didn't know it was behind him. So even on that one, 
yes, it's on UPL to squeeze that shot, but it was a really hard one-timer shot that the defense allowed before it. So, yeah, they only had 15 shots, but they made those count, and even the, the goals they ended up having were pretty impressive other than the crucial fourth goal they ended up scoring. I think it was only in the second period, but still ended up being the game winner. That one was on UPL, but still it just goes to show that like you don't need – 37 shots to win the game and even in that one Gibson did play really well and Thompson had that incredible play in front that uh Gibson ended up saving with arguably one of the best saves of the year where he chucked his huge glove down and barely made the save but it was really impressive and then against Montreal it looks good and it's decent but you're playing a really bad team so it just doesn't mean all that much to me I mean UPL had a really big bounce back game which I think is big I think he needed it even though the other game, again, I don't think. I think two were on him, two aren't. So even of the four goals, I think only two were really his fault. But in this one, he played incredible, had some really, really big saves. They only win by one against a, a bad team, but the Sabres are kind of also a, a bad team. So that's that's just kind of where they are. Still cannot come anywhere close to stringing at least three wins together. We can barely get two. I, I don't even know the last time they had two. So not yeah, it's It's been a while. I mean... Losing to the Ducks is just embarrassing, especially when you give up 15 shots and uh, four of them go in. That's almost, what, a 33% shooting percentage? Pretty close to that. That's good math right there for you again, Phil. There you um, go. Yeah, um, I guess the benefit I can take away from these two games is some of the top players are scoring. You had Tage, yep. you had Skinner, yep, yep. and Tuck score, and we ripped them on the last show talking about it, and you gave all the stats of how infrequent they're adding to this offense whatsoever. Eric Johnson, bad turnover, why he's still getting minutes. I think it's just to showcase him and try to get him traded, but uh, showcasing uh, <laughs> not working well because <laughs> I I know you can't healthy scratch him because that devalues him a ton, but watching him on the ice has to devalue him as well. And uh, I guess it's you're trying to decide, do you want to play him and showcase that he's just, he, he can't, do it in this NHL anymore unless it's on the penalty kill which he's really good on the penalty kill I've given him credit that I think the penalty kill has turned around because of his presence there but you can't just have a sixth defender just out there for penalty kills they have to take a shift and unfortunately he has to do that UPL lost the puck along boards in second Tage bad turnover in third and uh, I went into this one going, okay, it's time to rip the Sabres. And then Montreal happened and the top player scored. Power plays looked better. UPL is still the king. Top line played really well. This is just one of those frustrating seasons where you're you're wanting to just rip them an absolute new one. And then, you know, another game happens before you record and you can't because they get a win. So they're still 10 points back of a playoff spot. I hope that people, when they saw the post that we put out, don't actually think that we think they're making the playoffs. There's no chance they're making the playoffs. They can go on an unbelievable run, and they still won't make the playoffs. And we don't even believe that because they can't win three games in a row. But I think, and Chad Dominicis from Expected Buffalo wrote an article. I haven't been able to read it yet, but it was him pretty much illustrating that it's not as bad as it looks, as bad as little as people want to hear. And I think I agree with him. The five-on-five five numbers are decent. You're getting good goaltending from UPL. Your The defense has improved as a collective this season. The issue has been 
the goal scoring. And it's just dried up on the power play, where if this power play was playing like they did last year, they might be sitting in a playoff spot. But because of your inaction with adjusting it or figuring out a way to improve it earlier in the season, you're sitting 10 points back, barely ahead of Montreal now. And that's what's so frustrating about this season. And I know it's more of an NHL problem than just solely a Buffalo Sabres problem, but because we cover the Sabres, I'm going to hit the point home here. It's the it's the lack of attention or the lack or willingness to do anything to try to change the pattern. Like October, I, I, I think it was WGR was talking about this earlier in the week. October, if you're struggling, we get it. It's month in the season. But when it transfers over to November and you're still struggling and your only move was bring in Eric Robinson and then December happens and you're still struggling and then January happens and you're still struggling and then we're in February and you're still struggling and literally your only move has been Eric Robinson. That's the problem that I'm having with this season. It was because... Nothing was adjusted. Nothing was tried. No changes were made. No coaching changes were made. It was just that's the most frustrating part of the season is it's even less about where they are in the standing. It's more about it's like the GM and the coach and whoever else is in charge didn't even try to right the ship. Yeah, I think it's like the the pressure that was on this season because of last year. I think that's where a lot of this comes from. I mean, Buffalo has been, obviously, everybody knows, bad for a long time. And you finally got so close last year. And then to see that essentially same team with a few new pl- like positions and players and just a few little tweaks was supposed to try to take that next step together. And they've fallen so far backwards of what they were. And like you said, overall, if you really... I feel like if you just take like if the Sabres had made playoffs any time in the last decade and you look at this team from a rebuilding standpoint, you look at this team from a what two year standpoint from, you know, the really good year last year and then this year, it's like overall the core is still decent. Like your team, like you said, some of the stats are still good. The underlying stats, you got what you were missing last year, which was UPL, your defense is taking a step up, your offense, which was amazing last year, took a step back. But in theory, you, you kind of hope that that's still there. So, I mean, like, just looking forward as positively as you possibly can, this team, in theory, should be able to turn it around. Like, they have the core and the pieces, and they've done it throughout the year where they've beaten, very oddly, really, really good teams and then lost to really, really bad teams. But they're just, the inconsistency is there. Like you mentioned, they just can't have still yet to win three games in a row, which I, I don't know how you don't do at some point in the season when this team is supposed to be decent, but like the, the building blocks and far as like the future goes, it is there, but the inactivity of this team, if they thought that this was the team to, you know, push them over the edge, get to playoffs. And you truly believed that, like you said, you would think that there would have been more in season moves as playoffs started to slip away like you can't wait and even even now they don't I mean I assume now they just don't care because it's all but over but earlier on in the season when things started to slip and you had some injured players there was no moves to amend that to try to keep them in the hunt really early on and then the later and later it gets obviously the farther and farther you fall back and there's just no way to catch up and at this point it's too late but like you said there was just no no moves made at all to really help this team. I feel like the whole time they've just been waiting for players to get back from injuries and hoping 
that's what pushes them over the edge. And like, that is just getting the team back healthy. Like that was all they needed. And clearly it wasn't. And then you had more injuries pile on top of injuries. And the team that did come back, I mean, from those injuries just hasn't looked great. I mean, Thompson still doesn't look like Thompson, but he's, he's getting better, but still, I feel like like early on in the season, I feel like they're with their issues they were having. It was almost like they were just waiting for Quinn. Like, okay, Quinn's on his way. He's, you know, we know his general timetable. When he gets back, this team's really going to take off. Then Thompson got injured. Then you're like, okay, when Thompson gets back, this team's really going to take off. And I feel like they just kept assuming that the injured players were the reason they weren't doing well. And then when everybody came back healthy and they did okay, but not good enough to really make a playoff push they still didn't make any moves and now you're just way way too far back to do anything yeah what's uh, I guess we probably should have seen this coming when Jack Quinn got hurt in the offseason and they didn't really make a move and yes you can say that Zach Benson was the replacement for Jack Quinn but was he really or was he the replacement for or yeah or was he the replacement for Tyson Jost who ended up going down to Rochester. Right. Like, you brought the whole team back. You did lose Jack Quinn. You added Zach Benson. So most people probably would have thought, hey, Zach Benson is just the replacement for Jack Quinn. But really, Zach Benson replaced the Olofsson-Jost spot in the lineup because both of them ended up being healthy scratches. And they didn't really bring anybody in to replace the Jack Quinn besides Eric Robinson. So, again, I'm not trying to, like, shoot... Eric Robinson in the foot here. Like, he's the player he is. I'm not expecting him to be this superstar player being brought in. This is more of an indictment on the general manager than anything else. But, like, Greenway, I was worried about the trade trade last year. I think he's a good player, and I think the assets that they traded for him are worth it. I think he adds value to this team, whether it's on the penalty kill or on five-on-five play, and he's one of the bigger body guys being 6'6", 231. He can lay some of the body. But... Again, they didn't do anything to really change up this team and improve it in the offseason. And when Jack Quinn went down, it was like, okay, let's try to just withstand the injury to Jack Quinn until he's back. And then we can just take off from there. And it just never happened because Jack Quinn got hurt again. I'm not just blaming that injury because, you know, <laughs> it's it stunk before then. It stinks after now. But it's my question for you, Phil, I guess, is just this and then. We can stop talking about this future team. Do you believe that what we saw last year was the Buffalo Sabres? Or do you think what we're seeing this year is the Buffalo Sabres? Like, do you think that last year was just this this fluke of a season that everything just collided perfectly and they're not truly a 90-point team and they have plenty of more moves to make? Or do you think, you know, it's it, last year was exactly who they are, and it's just a down year. I would say both, and I know that's a bit of a cop-out, I think, but I do think this team has a lot of young, really strong talent, but I think they are missing solid veterans on the offensive side and possibly the defensive side to really take this team to the next level. They have too much young talent that they are banking on to carry the entire team. They don't have enough solid vet. I'm not talking just leadership veterans, which they have currently in Akpozo and Johnson. Like, yeah, they're great as leaders, but they're not the best players. Like, I, we, we need veterans who are leaders, but also can put up a lot of points and do a lot of great things. And I think they have the pieces to go inquire them with their incredible farm system. But like, if are you like, 
if they tried to roll out this team next year and they were completely healthy, I would be very worried. I, I do not think... I think this is a little... I think it's in between, I guess. It's still kind of a cop-out. But I think it's halfway between what we saw last year and what we're getting this year. I think they are better overall than we're seeing this year. But I don't think we can expect them to be a top-five scoring offense again with the exact same players next year. I don't think... These players that, like you mentioned, multiple, multiple times now have all had career years last year. A lot of them, I think, are falling back to earth. And a lot of them, I think, like Cousins have fallen too far back to earth, where I think they will go back to kind of the means. Even Tage, even Tuck, even Skinner, like all of them seem to have just hit a really, really cold season that I I think we can expect them to be better next year. But I don't think you can expect them to all have equal to their career year of last year. So I think you need a lot of offensive pieces to push some players down the lineup, push some players up the lineup, move things around, shake it up, and just be a better, more consistent offense. And I I don't think they currently, if you roll this team out next year, like I said, I would be, I would be worried. I think UPL is doing great. I don't even know what they do with him, but he is playing incredible and I think has exceeded expectations and then some so far. I think the defense does look better, and once they get healthy, I think they're still missing a few things, but hopefully they can be okay. But the offense, without adding anything, would worry me. I pretty much agree with everything you just said there. I think it's an in-between. I think you're not going – I don't think the players are as bad as they're playing this year, and I don't think they're as good as they played last year. I think it's somewhere in the middle, and I think next year you have to roll out a different – different top 12 like you can't bring Caliposo back you can't bring Zemgis Gergensen back you can't bring you know those those bottom tier teams like Victor Olofsson's got to be shipped out the door I know he's on his final year of his deal as well he won't be back so you need fresh blood into this lineup and but you also rejuvenate can't them. just take the AHL team and move them up like don't right that yes, can't be your answer ready. either yeah, you, you can't just – I know that's how good teams usually excel where they pay their star players and then they bring up the next wave of young players to be that cheaper option there. But I, I, I'm I'm just a little nervous because we haven't seen Kevin Adams be able to make those type of deals yet. Like he made the giant Jack Eichel deal. He made the giant Ristolainen uh, Rista deal. He made the Sam Reinhardt deal. Kudos. Any GM can tear it down. It's about what you can do building it up. And that's what we haven't been able to see in Buffalo in 13 years is that GM that can, like I said, I've, I've played fantasy for how many years? And I know I'm not trying to relate fantasy to actual real life, but it's easy to tear down teams to the studs. It's more difficult to build them back up and make them a playoff team, and that's just what we haven't been able to see. But, Phil, I've got nothing else with this team. I can't believe we talked about them for close to 20 minutes. Is there anything else you want to add to the Sabres before we move on and don't have to talk about them until Monday? Yeah, just to kind of piggyback off what you said, like they have built one of the best prospect pools in the NHL. They have built one of the better younger teams in the NHL, but now you also have to use that prospect pool to trade away to get now player talent from teams that don't have a prospect pool and that need that young talent to rebuild their own farm systems. Use the talent that you have drafted and draft picks because they're useless and go get some actual established NHL players that can help this team get over the hump and still be a 
young, you know, talented team that you built from the ground up, essentially, but with an influx of talented veterans or, you know, middle-aged prime players that you can use this incredible stash of prospects that you have, trade them away. Don't just sit here and, again, like, we've talked about it a little bit where you don't want to just sit here and wait for these guys like Benson, like Savoy, to be on this team next year, the next couple of years, and then just kind of sit on this team for the next three, four, five years, hoping that they continue to develop. Like that's, that's not the answer. So hopefully they trade away some of this great talent they have, which is a bummer, but hopefully they get, you know, now ready talent in return. Not enough room on the big league club for all those players as or well. Or so time to wait we, for them to grow up until yeah. they're 26, 27. <laughs> Or that they're, uh, I think they got a game Friday or Saturday. I don't even know. I don't really care. There's 26 (laughs) games left. So we'll talk about whatever game they play whenever they play it on Monday's show. So we'll move on to the final segment, the Buffalo Banis segment, before we actually dive into any Buffalo Banis talk. News broke Tuesday night, I believe it was. It was made official on Wednesday. But the New York Riptide, they joined the league, I believe it was in 2019, they had that expansion draft. They're going to Ottawa. And they're going to become the Ottawa Black Bears. Season tickets are going on sale on or in April of 2024. They're going to be a part of the Senators franchise. They're going to be playing where the Senators actually play. Now, the NLL used to have a team in Ottawa called the Rebels from 20, I'm sorry, 2001 to 2003. The team went 4-12 both seasons. And uh, that team came from Syracuse, and they were the smash there. The Ottawa Rebels folded in 2020, or sorry, I keep doing that, 2004, and were bought. And in 2005, they became the Edmonton Rush. So the Saskatchewan Rush, in some sort of weird way, actually came from Syracuse and took a quick stop in Ottawa and then Edmonton, and now they're in Saskatchewan. But Phil, what's your thoughts overall on another team being relocated from their original birthplace. And what were your thoughts on this news breaking like mid season? That was weird to me. I know that, I mean, like you mentioned originally when the news broke um, to us, you're like, unless they're rolling out ticket packages right away, then why are we announcing it now? And that's exactly what they're doing. So it makes sense from that standpoint that you have to start getting the hype up now. So people can start buying tickets, get excited about the team. And then even if you start it early, then you even have the entire summer to really push the new franchise and everything. So from a marketing standpoint, completely get it. The weird thing to me is that they did it so quickly. I understand that it's not an expansion team. It's a, you know, uh, relocation. So it's not going to have the same expansion draft or anything like that. But I feel like the NLL recently has done a really good job of, you know, making it kind of like a secret and building up to announcements like this. We're like, Oh, we got something going on. Here's a, you know, potential option. Here's a logo. Here's, you know, a name. And then they just kind of keep building until they release it. And this was just kind of like, here it is. Uh, this is happening. Yay team. So I thought it was kind of weird that they just, Threw it out there with no hype, no buildup. But again, you're mid-season, so it's a little weird to pump out a new team and get so excited about them when the Riptide are still playing and have a decent season going on and are trying to play the rest of their year. So I I get it from a a marketing standpoint for sure. Um, A little strange that you're doing it mid-season, but I get why. And it's also just weird because the Riptide are still playing as the Riptide and still have to finish their season out while they know that at the end of it, they're going to Ottawa. So I I know the players can focus and they can handle this kind of thing. I'm sure, I don't want to say they're used to it, but I'm sure they can handle it. But still 
a weird thing to be thrown in the middle of the season for from a player standpoint more than anything. Yeah, I think it. I think you said it perfectly. I think it's the right decision. I know behind the scenes this was talked about a lot because New York is losing their home arena. I, I believe it's getting destroyed. And I think I was listening to Lacrosse Classified and they were saying that they're arena is actually going to get demolished and turned into a casino, I believe it was. So they were going to get kicked out regardless. I believe that they were also talking about they were looking for another home in Long Island and it just didn't work out. So they talk with Ottawa kind of picked up pace there. I actually think this is going to be really good for the old New York Riptide, now Ottawa Black Bears, well, next year, Ottawa Black Bears. I think it's important to have a solid base there that's going to help them which is ottawa senators new ownership and with ottawa being a part of that i'm not i i don't know how crazy i am with them playing in the same arena as ottawa not because they won't be like that top tier team getting all the 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 best opportunities to pick their own schedule and they'll have to abide by ottawa similar to what the buffalo bandits have to do but it's more about and and they had uh lacrosse classified had jamie dowick on the the uh the episode this week he was talking about you know 10 to eleven thousand is like the perfect arena for nll because you can drive up interest you can keep other things low like buffalo he said is the best market for this because they are able to sell out like an 18 19,000 arena fan arena but that that's my biggest concern is it's a big arena. Are you going to be able to sell enough tickets to warrant being in the same house as the senators? And I'm excited about it. Uh, it stinks that Riptide are finally good and they're losing their uh, their team, but you didn't support them, so I don't know what to tell you. But uh, that will close that out. We'll get another not a new team, but a new team <laughs> next season as the uh, uh, New York Riptide become the Ottawa Black Bears. Uh, next thing here. Jerseys for Saturday night for Native American Heritage Night. They were actually designed by Frank's Frank Brown's sister, Allison. I absolutely love them. I don't know if you've gotten a chance to check them out yet, but I, I really, really like the design of them. And I do like that they're being a little bit more creative and a little bit more loose with all the jerseys that they're they're donning in the 18 game schedule this season. Yeah, they're really they're really nice looking. I, I like them a lot. Um like you just mentioned, I'm happy that they're kind of Kind of mixing it up more throughout the season. I know they already had Tucker Out Lymphoma Night jerseys every single year, but it's cool to see them continue to kind of mix it up and have these theme nights and have jerseys to go along with them. I think the NLL is one of the leagues in general. Again, they have a little bit more freedom to do this kind of thing because um, it's no offense to the league, not quite taken as seriously as some of the other leagues. I mean, the NFL doesn't even have logos on their jerseys or you know do anything other than a random color rush jersey and that's or about it find yeah they're they're yeah there's something um but it, it's fun i mean in a league like this like this is the kind of stuff that the nll can be built on that like why they're different in a good way from other leagues and it is jersey nights like this i mean obviously it's uh native american heritage night like you mentioned but having a jersey go along with it i do think they're really really cool i like them a lot they look really nice um but to just to have it be able to be mixed up like this and even all the Marvel stuff coming through. And I think Buffalo themselves has done a really good job with the jerseys. And I know Marvel, they mentioned um, it was the only game that is going to be played where two teams have the hero jerseys. And it's because 
Buffalo got asked and they said, okay. And then even for the Buffalo Bandits, when they have theirs, it sounds like they're going to have merch and things available for theirs, um, Jersey night as well. So I think the Bandits and Buffalo in general are doing a really good job with a lot of this marketing and just pushing more of these things through and really kind of, I don't know, um, being one kind of with the fans and just really kind of giving them a little bit more of what they want. And I would assume we're going to get probably a St. Patrick's Day jersey and things like that. So to see, you know, you only have nine home games and to see possibly even half of them with different jerseys. I know some fans might not love that because they like the classic bands jerseys, but I think it's really great. And in a league like this, I think that's the kind of league where that kind of stuff thrives. So like to see it. And I like the jerseys coming up. I agree also, especially if you can sell some merch for this kind of stuff. I, I absolutely love it. I love the idea of it. It kind of gets the younger fan base involved with it as well because it's not the same jersey every single night. Some of the young fans might actually see one of these jerseys like Marvel Night. That's going to be a hit for some of these kids. Right. And that's part of the way of growing the sport is getting some of these younger kids interested not just in the sport but in the teams too and then you get you know a fan for life i think that's a very smart design and i've absolutely loved all the different marketing tools and all the different jerseys that buffalo has produced this year but next uh part of this segment phil there's it's buffalo bandits is jam-packed with this one because there's been a lot of news this week alex q if you might not know that name he's been on the practice squad all year long you know, he's brought in as a free agent. I believe he was on Georgia's he was in Georgia's camp a couple of years yes. ago. He made the practice squad for the Buffalo Bandits out of nowhere. We didn't think he was going to do it, but he's a big guy. He was sent to Toronto for a twenty twenty four sixth round pick. Uh it kind of came out of nowhere. This happened on Wednesday, and my biggest thought was it was less about the deal and it was Phil. What's next? I know there's going to be a next move because that means there's a practice squad spot open. Are they going to send somebody down to the practice, like release them and then sign them to the practice squad? Or are they going to bring in another piece or is somebody healthy? What does this mean? It was less about, because we didn't really see Alex Q. He was kind of like a ninth or 10th forward on this team. It was, what is this next domino to fall? But Phil, Alex Q to Toronto for a 2024 sixth round pick. And I think it has a lot to do with Jalen Rodgers is probably going to be out a while. I saw four to six week he's going to be hurt. I was going to say, we haven't mentioned your bestie is going to be injured yeah. for a little while. Uh, well, uh, wish him the best, I guess, maybe. <laughs> I Awkwardly. Conflicted. Um, I'm conflicted. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, this doesn't really... I don't know, it doesn't do anything for me on on either either end, the player end or what the Bandits receive. It's nice to not have to release a practice squad player for nothing. So if the Bandits wanted to make Agreed. a move yep. either way, I mean, at least you're getting something in return, which is always nice. Who knows what a six could turn into in the world of the NLL, which you're about to go over. It's not going to you know amount to much, especially on... I don't know. The, the league is small. Um, teams like the Bandits that have a championship roster, even if they draft a lot of really good players, a lot of them aren't going to crack that roster. And it's very, very competitive. So a six round pick next year, likely not going to do much for the Bandits. But who knows? You never know what can actually come from that. But as far as XQ goes, I mean, he was good depth for the Bandits. I did like him in that role just as a practice squad depth. But again, unless there was a, a massive injury or two, I don't think he was ever really going to crack it. So Either end of this trade, pretty much a, a nothing trade other than exactly what you said. Opening a, a roster spot means something for the Bandits. 
Yeah, it's sixth round pick, like we've mentioned in the past. There, there's so many picks that Buffalo has in these next couple of years, and with the talent on the team and a championship pedigree team, there's not very many spots. So a lot of these picks either go unused or they're used for trade chips. So you just brought another sixth round pick in for this coming year. That means that I have two in 2024. But it, for those of you that are even mad, you know, you sent out an Alex Q who went undrafted. So you got a sixth round pick for him. Kyle Buchanan in 2012, he was a sixth round pick. Brandon Robinson in the fourth was a, I'm sorry, Brandon Robinson in 2016 was a fourth round pick. Delvin Shanahan, uh, 2018, he was a fourth round pick. Dalton Solver, 2020 was a fifth round pick. Christian Watts, 2022 was a fifth round pick. Bryce Sweeting, 2015 was a fifth round or a fourth round pick. So just looking at those alone, there it's hard to hit on players. And those are just on Bandit's active roster. Everybody else is higher than that. Like those are the lowest drafted players currently on the Buffalo Bandit's roster that was drafted. It's, it just shows that, uh, you can hit on lower talent, but a lot of times the majority of your team's makeup is going to come from those higher rounds. So adding a six round pick, while it might not do a ton, it can be that extra trade asset that you can throw into a trade that says, Hey, what can I get this done? If I send you a six round pick, will you hit? Yes. And you know, that's just another trade asset for it. But that was that trade. Before we dive into the hotly debated topic that we're going to be discussing here real quick, Phil, I know uh, we got to read our sponsor. Really happy to still have them aboard. Phil, take it away. Yeah. Tap that tap room at 363 Delaware Street in Tonawana, New York. They will have the home game Play in there on Saturday if you cannot make it to the game yourself. But if you won the the during the away game, if you won the tickets to this home game, congratulations, because now you're going to the game. But if you cannot, check out Tap That Tap Room. They will have the game on. They feature 30 consistently rotating taps. The idea is that you go and pour everything yourself so you can get up and try as little or as much as you want. If you find one that you really, really love, go and, you know, use only that one. If you want to try 30 different ones, heck of a challenge. Good luck. But they offer beer, cider, sours, seltzers, and malt beverages. You can sit down with your friends or your dog if you would like your dog to come with. They are dog friendly. Yeah, I just checked the weather. It's going to be 24. I still don't think they're going to have the patio open. I don't think so. I'm going to start. I'm going to start a calendar to write down, hey, it's okay. It's still not open yet. What about the next day? Still not open yet. But yeah, if you can't uh, make it to this home game or you just choose not to or whatever your options are, the benefit of going to watch it at the Tap That Tap Room is for these type of games, it's only Buffalo Bandits fans. So they put the volume up. So a lot of these other bars, like sports bars, where the volume's down and you just got to either read the subtitles or just like cheer along with the fans and you can barely hear it. The volume goes up so you can hear what's going on there. So while you're still talking to your buddy next to you, like we were doing last sat for last Friday, you can still hear the game going on. You can still hear the announcers talking about it. So that's what I absolutely loved about it as well, that it was like mostly just Buffalo Bandits fans and the sound was up. So Phil, are you ready to... Are you ready to fight? This might be our first fight in almost three years. And it's one that uh, means pretty much nothing, but sure. <laughs> it, it means almost nothing, but that's usually how our battles go. Uh, the uh, follow-up to that trade that we mentioned, Buffalo trades a 2024 second-round pick and a 2025 third-round pick to Rochester, and I did confirm both of those picks are 
the Buffalo Bandits picks. I know Buffalo had three picks. They had their own. They had Vancouver's and New York's all in the second round. Confirmed, Buffalo traded their own 2024 second and their own 2025 third round pick to Rochester for transition player Corey Highfield. Now, Highfield is a transition player, 6'2", 200 pounds, former second round pick, 18th overall in 2019. In 2020, his rookie year, that was the year that got cut short by COVID, 12 games played, 9 goals, 4 four assists, 13 points, 41 loose balls, and 2 cost turnovers. Uh, nobody played in 2021, 2022. It was also cut short because, uh, he made it cut short by getting injured. He missed all last year, but 2022, eight games played three, three and six, 25 loose balls, two cause turnovers. He's played three games this year. He's been on their practice squad. So he's going to be traded here to be on their practice squad unless some roster moves get mentioned and it's eight o'clock now. So no roster moves have been posted online yet, but Phil, uh, I know we differ in opinions on this trade. I will let you uh, argue why your side is right before I argue why my side is right. <laughs> yeah, this this trade overall, um, like we kind of mentioned, this fight is going to be uh, nothing because it, it really doesn't mean much to the bandits in my opinion, which is part of the reason I'm a little bit upset about it as far as what you're trading away. Um, that is my biggest concern with the whole thing. Trading away a 24 second and a 25 third to me is too high for a player like this. That has not really proven themselves in the NLL. They've, you know, had injuries. They missed a whole season because of COVID. And then what they do have on paper just really isn't that much yet. And I did take a look at other trades around the league, trying to find something comparable, which was not all that easy because the league doesn't really trade all that much. But the two that I found that were kind of closest were Ty Thompson from Colorado. He went to Panther City over the offseason for a conditional third-round pick, and he is a forward, but last year he had 20 points, 21 loose balls in just nine games. And then the one that was even more comparable, Liam Burns went for a second-round pick. He was 30 years old, uh, is 30 years old, um, but last season in 17 games he had 6 points, 72 loose balls, and 15 cause turnovers. And the year before that, he had 10 points, 137 loose balls, and 26 cause turnovers, and that went for a second pick as someone who is more established and has just done more, has the track record, and has had a few pretty incredible years under his belt. He went for a second-round pick. So the biggest thing to me with this, I, I don't really care too much about the picks, but the big thing for me is that, A, I don't think he really deserved the, I mean, not Highfield himself. He didn't make this trade. He did. He didn't call it up and uh, organize it all and say, I am worth a second and a third. But as far as the bandits go, I don't think he has shown his value as needing to get rid of a second and a third. And to me, the biggest thing is you're doing it seemingly for just a depth player, like to give away a second and a third for a player that A, might not play at all. And if he does is more of a rotational kind of depth piece rather than an impact player. And I think that's what is just most upsetting to me about this trade. Like I would rather have used all three of those seconds and even a first or two to go out there and try to trade for something that's just going to be impactful to this year's team, given that they are a championship loaded roster trying to repeat are hitting a bit of a snag in the season right now could use some kind of outside potential boost. I don't think they necessarily need it, but I would have rather used the second and the third to have a massive deal for one player with a ton of picks rather than a depth player who knows how much they are going to see the field. 
my thought on this before I dive into more of the actual meaning behind a second and third round pick in the NLL is it could be because of these unified standings that every team still believes they're in it. And this was the only real market out there to bring in a much needed transition slash defenseman for this team. Because on last show, we were saying, hey, they need to address this position. It's not working. Whatever is happening, they've given up, what, 13 plus goals in four straight games. What they're doing and the players they have are not working. Go out and get another piece or bring in somebody who is healthy that it, it, it activate somebody that's hopefully healthy, like a, a Zach Belter, a, a Frank Brown, Adam Bomber, which I don't know their statuses. Maybe they're getting their way back. Maybe they're sitting there healthy and bandits don't want to make a move. I don't know because they just made a move here. But here's here's my thoughts on the second and third round picks that you wish they would have gotten better talent for, which you know, I haven't seen Corey Highfield play all that much, so I don't know how talented he is. He missed all last year. He's still coming back from the injury and slowly working his way back in. But his rookie year looked pretty stinking good based on those stats. But here, here's what we've been missing out on, Phil, um, since 2014. 2014, third-round pick, Jordan Dance. Remember him? Of course you don't. Uh, 2014, second-round pick, 18 overall, Tyler Ferreira? Yeah. Can't even pronounce his last name. I will give you Matt Bennett, second round pick in 2014. 2015, Mike Triolo. He's in uh, Saskatchewan now, but he took forever to get here, third round pick. Tony Malcolm, I'll give you 2015, second round pick, 11th overall, Tony Malcolm. He's doing pretty good in Panther City. Ready for this one? 2016, third round pick, TJ Sanders. Remember him? Nope. Kevin Orleman, second round pick, 2016. Eh, didn't do anything with Bandits. I'll give you Justin Martin, second round pick in 2016. Here we go. 2017, Dallas Bridal, third round pick. Yep. 2017, Ethan Shout or Shot, Scott, whatever. Shot. See, don't even know. Yeah, there you go. Uh, didn't do much. I'll give you 2017, second round pick, Chase Frazier. Cool. Ready for these ones. 2019, Ryder Garnsey, third round pick. He's PLL stud, but not doing anything in the NLL. Nate Kuznetsnikov. Didn't really do much. I know he got hurt, but knee injury. Jordan Storos, solid player, but didn't really do much. 2020, second-round pick. Sam LaRue, been here for four years, hasn't really done much. Second-round pick. 2021, Phil, Colin Monroe, second-round pick. These is, those are, I'm not, I didn't exclude anybody. Like, I put top talent on there that they've drafted since 2014. It's not there. Like, that's why I'm not super worried about sending out a second and a third round pick on a former second round pick that hasn't really done much since 2022 when he got hurt. I would like to see him in a better system. Rochester, we know, doesn't have a very good system, and I know you're going to throw it back in my face. Well, if they don't have a good system and not good players, why isn't he playing there? Because he's still working back from injury. That's my point. Like, you saw what he could do in his rookie year. Those numbers are pretty solid. I, I'm willing to give Steve Dietrich the benefit of the doubt. He brought in Adam Bombery last year. They won the championship. He's brought in players in the past. They still have solid track record for trades that they've made. Have they made some dud trades? Yeah, Devin Maya hasn't done anything. I mean, we haven't even seen him here. They haven't even signed him to a contract. They traded a second round, I think two second round picks last year's draft to bring him in. My main point is, 
I don't. I haven't seen enough of Corey Highfield. I haven't studied his tape to know if this is a good or a bad deal. I know that you would rather ship those two deal, two picks out or even more plus a player or whatever to get a better player. But that might not be the market that's out there right now because of so many teams still believe that they're in it in these unified standings. And with the East being good, it's also not helping. Um, right. As far as like trading on the East Coast, which we know a lot of the NLL has to do, Rochester, who you just traded with, but I mean, it really, to me, still wasn't much that they gave up a practice squad player that wasn't in their lineup, but the Philadelphia Wings are the only other team in the bottom eight on the East, so you really just have the Wings and Nighthawks realistically as far as the NLL goes to trade with, which is pretty tough, but I don't know. It's just the, again, yeah, I just... As far as trades go, like realistically, I mean, if he comes in, like you mentioned, like a uh, second and a third, as far as the NLL goes, especially with Buffalo having three seconds, like, are you really missing out on much? No, but I would have rather used that second coupled with a first and a player to do something else. Well, like you said, and like I found out just typing in the word trade in uh, transactions around the NLL, it doesn't happen that often. And it's a lot tougher to do in the NLL, make trades in general. So if this is something they can do, I don't really care about the draft picks as far as drafting goes. Like, I, I don't care that the Bandits don't have that second-round pick to draft with. I'm just upset they don't have that second-round pick to possibly trade with in a few weeks before the trade deadline with some of these teams. Like you mentioned, right now, a lot of them might still think they're in it. And then a few weeks from now, some of these teams, like if Philly continues to drop off, if Rochester continues to drop off, they're both young teams that are good teams that might want to load up on draft picks to get rid of one player. And that one player could make a huge impact for the bandits that are trying to push for a championship for the second straight year. So, I mean, that's what I would just rather have all the ammo in the world for is trying to make that one really, really impressive trade deadline type deal. But as far as like, if that kind of trade never comes through, I could care less about the second and the third that they gave up. And if this player ends up finding his way on the active roster and he makes any kind of impact, especially a defensive one. The lack of cause turnovers is concerning to me a little bit, but hopefully, um, like you mentioned, a lot of it is hopefully from the injury and he can work his way back and himself into a good system and make an impact. So, I mean, if he can find a way to make any kind of positive impact on this defense, there's transition, then by all means, that would be fantastic. I just wish they would, would have saved the second. I don't care about the third at all. I mean, that still looks good in theory, but like you just mentioned, I mean, seconds are really second and up is really where it matters in the NLL. So to have three seconds would have been nice to have those to possibly bundle for one big player a little bit later in the season. But overall, I just, I, I hope he comes in. I hope he does find the playing field because if he doesn't at all this season, that's also going to be a little bit depressing. But I don't know, like where, where, would you say that he would just take over Emerson and McKenzie's Clark, sorry, Clark's and McKenzie's spot potentially? Like, would that be what they would have to do if they really wanted that, to get him in? That's my best hope. That would be my thought if. But then we if Bomberry comes a... back, would he? Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but if Bomberry comes back at some point, it renders him. I think you'll useless. just see. <laughs> I, I think. Their best outcome here with them still having three goalies, and I, I get it. You don't want to release them, but yeah, it's, that's, it's, uh, it's, yep. it's yep, tough. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> but I think, honestly, Clark and McKenzie are probably the biggest 
pieces here to lose time. I think you'll see, hopefully, this is my thought about what they should do with their transactions, which, I mean, Thursdays still aren't on an NLL website yet, so I don't know exactly what happened. Friday, we'll probably know more. Do they activate him to the uh, active 21? Do they release Clark or McKenzie and put them down to the practice squad so you have high field as an option on your 21? Will he dress? I don't know. I, I think it'll depend on if Clark or McKenzie are the ones that get sent down. That's the biggest telling tale is how much they value this player, which based on what they gave up, which I'm not talking super highly about those picks because I know I don't personally value them that high based on the track record of Buffalo Bandits drafting in the second and so on forth. But I I think you'll, I'm expecting, I don't know anything, but I'm expecting another roster move about moving pieces from the practice squad to the active roster based on what they gave up to get him. And my my only other part here, Phil, I know you're worried about the draft picks that they they uh, gave up here. Um, they still have three first-round picks this coming year. They still have two second-round picks this coming year. They have two second-round picks in 2025 and two second-round picks in 2026. So they're not short on any type of uh, trade assets. They still have buttloads of picks. They have five in the top two rounds this coming up draft anyway. So I I think if they want to make a move, they still have oodles and oodles of uh, ammunition to go do that. Yeah, that was the other information that I couldn't find anywhere, which is depressing. Um, Just got to ask me. Well, yeah, but I figured with our battle coming up, you weren't going to give it up. So That's true. I was Um, not going to give it up. (laughs) But also frustrating i was trying to see so i don't know if you know i don't know why you'd be able to find it i can't but sometimes you have those abilities do you know what three games highfield played in this year was it earlier was it later i can't find a game log split unless i actually go through every single one of rochester games and check their roster but uh not on me i don't want okay okay (laughs) nll stats didn't have it just says three and then NLL.com also just says three. I don't know which three. I was just curious if it was, did he play in the last couple? So, like, you know, his health is a little bit better. Did he play in the first couple and have some kind of setback that we don't know about? Just curious as far as what come, what's coming up. What? Uh, he played both games in Buffalo, and he played the game in Georgia. Uh, played January oh, 13th versus February Buffalo, 10. February okay. 13th at Buffalo, and then February 10th in Georgia. So he's played their last two games, it looks like. All right, for sure. So he should be healthy now. Should be healthy. So uh, just... Versus Buffalo the f- second time, he had two shots, one loose ball, two turnovers, and one cause turnovers. And then versus Georgia, he had two loose balls, two penalty minutes, and a cause turnover. So uh, two cause turnovers in the last two games. All right. So he, he could possibly – I was just wondering about, like, this weekend, could he crack the lineup – it is. It would be interesting. If he's possible. on the active roster, I don't know if I would expect him to play just because it's shut short. Oh, absolutely. Week. They yeah. get him in on Thursday. It's right. also travel. Can they get him here in time and all that kind well, of stuff? So I wouldn't expect Rochester. him in, but I wouldn't <laughs> I wouldn't doubt it either. Right. So we'll see. We'll see. It'll be interesting. A lot of talk on a uh, current practice spot. 
player. But let's yeah. dive into the matchup now because we're about 50 minutes in. 7-2 and two, Albany Firewolves coming into town versus the Buffalo Bandits who are sitting at 5-4. and four. Albany 11.67 goals for, which is ninth in the league. Buffalo 12.89 goals for, which is third in the league. Albany 10.56 goals against, which is third in the league. Buffalo 12.56 goals against, tied for 11th in the league. These two teams have faced week two, Buffalo's first matchup of the year, December 9th. It was 2-2 after 1-10-6, Albany leading after 2 and 12-10, Albany leading after 3. Buffalo would drop this one 17 to 13. Yeah, I have a uh a t-shirt that says do something on it. It's got that little character poking a stick and it's only at the Sabres and the Bills uh, is on the shirt. The Bandits are not. They just won a championship. They don't deserve to be on the shirt. But what does deserve to be on the shirt is the defense and the entire team to play a full game. That is the two big things I am looking for in this game. Can they play a full 60 minutes? Because my goodness, you're going to need to. And the defense that has looked good in flashes, same with the rest of the team seemingly, they need to play a full game. Can they play a full 60 minutes? I mean, even the first, what was that, 15 minutes of the last game against Halifax, only two goals allowed. They looked really good. Then all of a sudden, it just completely fell apart and they looked awful. So hopefully the defense is probably the thing we are watching the most in this game, especially against a very good Albany offense. Like you mentioned, goals four has slipped for sure. I mean, 11.67 is still really good. I mean, really about only one goal off between ninth and third in the league. So very close as far as that goes. So even though ninth doesn't sound good, it's one goal away from third. So really still pretty close as far as goals for goes. So I think the defense really needs to step up and play a full game. And I think they have the ability to do it. We just haven't seen it in quite a long time. So I think for me, I don't know about you, but all eyes on the defense in this game. Yeah, I don't know how you couldn't have all your eyes on the defense in this one because they have definitely struggled the last, what, two Forever. months? It's been, yeah, it's been real bad. So let's go over the players real quick. Uh, we mentioned them earlier in the year, but a lot has changed since December 9th. So let's run over these. Rookie Ty Kurtz is a righty number two. Travis Longboat, number nine, having a good bounce back year after being hurt all last year. The front runner for rookie of the year, Alex Simmons, number six. He lit up Buffalo last time they faced him. And then the lefties, Sam Firth, number 94. Nathan Grennan, number 28. Marshall Paulus, number eight. And then my surprise player when we did that one, Ethan Walker, number 57. Yeah, to me, talking about the defense, the biggest thing with this game, this team really does not have the depth scoring that they need to compete, I think, season long. Um, I think they're obviously still doing really well. They've only lost two games. But if you look at their team, they're very top heavy. They have mainly, I know Longboat's having a decent season, but they mainly have Kurtz, Simmons, and Walker. Without those three their team and their offense really struggles. In the game that they just had against Colorado where they won and did really well in offense, Kurtz had seven points, Simmons had four goals and five points, and Ethan Walker had five points with three goals. The two games before that where the team struggled on offense, they only scored seven and six. Kurtz had one goal and one assist, Simmons zero goals, three assists in one of them. Walker had two goals, one assist and another one. And then the other one, Kurtz had one goal, one assist. Simmons, one goal, two assists. Walker, one goal, three assists. So this team really just does not have the depth scoring to play 
a really, really heavy game without Kurtz, Simmons, and Walker. So if you can take them out, at least one of the three for the defense, especially Simmons, he is absolutely, like you mentioned, possibly rookie of the year. He's playing really, really well. If you can take a player like him out, then the rest of the offense will most likely go down with him. But if he is having a really good game and he's on, then the offense is going to rise with him. So to me, it's pretty much all eyes on Simmons. If you can find a way to eliminate him, obviously Walker is another big piece of this team. But if you can find a way to keep those two down a little bit, I don't think they have the depth to really spread the ball around and give it to somebody else. Yeah, I agree. I mean, if you can control Simmons, who had, what is this, uh, five goals, three assists, eight points uh, yeah. last time Buffalo faced him. Uh, hopefully, because there's more video on these rookies and Kurtz and Simmons, Vince was able to study their patterns more. And I know Simmons just had four goals last game and Kurtz had three and Walker, I believe, had two. This offense can be lethal when they get going, but... That's two losses that they also had. They scored a combined 13 goals, so they can be shut down. With the defense in transition, Joe Nardella, face-off specialist and defensive specialist, number 91. Uh, Nick Chikowski, number 22. Jackson Nishimura, number 11. Patrick Cossack, number 19. And then their captain, Colton Watkinson, number 17. Uh, some that, That's what's been most surprising for me is this young team's been very very good defensively yeah a lot of their numbers really don't pop you know they're 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 not bad by any means but they're not eye popping numbers for their defense I'm not talking about points I mean they all seem to have a bit of transition in them which I think is also a big key to this team that every single one of their defenders seems like they can put up points if they need to or in a big moment get that you know one extra crucial goal but for the most part they're just being very consistent and they're very steady. They aren't really having too many ups and downs on the defense. It is definitely the most surprising part about this team is the defense and just what they're able to do. Like you mentioned earlier, third in goals against in the entire league, not something I think either of us saw coming. If anything, we expected their offense that's very young to do well and their defense to struggle a little bit, but their defense came along really, really quickly. Again, not really eye-popping numbers by any means, but just a very steady, consistent defense to go along with a pretty high-powered offense. So in net, let me pull it up because I was looking at something else. Real quick, Jug Jamison having an unbelievable year, great bounce back year, and I believe we said it in the offseason. We were wondering what kind of Doug Jamison we were going to get with this team because last year they were just – it was terrible tor- – tor- total teardown mode and he was kind of just the last soul remaining remember they traded what the five or six of their top scorers from that offensive unit that had ryan benash the head joe reza terrace andrew q you're looking back at it riley o'connor you're looking back at it and go how the heck did that team have to get broken apart but seven and oh 10.51 goals against in a 79 save percentage he is making a name for himself and in contention for goalie of the year this year Yeah, he, to go along with their defense being consistent, he is a massive reason why this team is doing what they're doing. He is fifth in the league in save percentage, fourth in the league in goals against, and he's doing extremely well. As you see there, 7-0, zero losses on the season. I know the team has two, but he currently has zero that he's been credited with. But in general, he's been really good. I think last year he was hot and cold, and if you got to him early, it seemed to get in his head, and he would just kind of, I don't want to say quit because... He's a real competitor, but I think he just got flustered early on if you got to him and then it kind of seemed to snowball and pile up. But this year, 
He's playing extremely well. Their team's playing really well, and it's going to be a 60-minute battle that the Bandits need to play all 60 minutes. So, Phil, we went over the players. We went over the game earlier in the year. Went over some of the new faces, a well, new face we could possibly see on Saturday night. What is your prediction for this upcoming? I'm not calling it a must-win game, but uh, you don't want to fall back to 500 and lose the season series to Albany. So what is your prediction for Saturday night's game? I don't know how many times we're going to say uh, I don't want to call it a must-win, but it's also kind it's of a must-win. Kind of yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to go, which I don't. I mean, I'll take the W for sure. Um, I'm going to go 13-11. That's what I'm going to go. I think the offense continues to roll as they have been. They really have not been stopped in a very long time. I think the defense will struggle a little bit, but still get back to doing better than they have been for a, a while. 11, while shocking to be a good number for them, would be a great number to allow only 11 goals, which is a, a little bit depressing. So I'm going uh, based on my mathematics here again. Here we go. Uh, last week I picked 15-13. Uh, it was 14-12 loss. I have them 15-13 win. Uh, the last four games, Phil, um, the opponents have scored 14 goals. So I'm going to have that streak reach to four or four straight weeks. Um, I got Buffalo winning 15-14 to 14 in a nail-biter and another game where they look at the defense and just go, what the heck is going on? Just because until I see it, I'm not going to believe it. And it's been since Colorado. And since that game, the defense has allowed at least 13 goals in every single game. It, it can't happen. It, it, they, they have to figure it out. And this is, this is not the way the Buffalo Bandits are typically known to be. Yeah, I think uh, my 11 is just hopeful. <laughs> I, I completely agree with you that until we see it, we really shouldn't be predicting it. But I, I just, I know their defense has it in them. We saw it earlier in the season. We know Vince can do it. We know the defense can do it. Just put it together for the love of God. And if they lose a bunch of faceoffs, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It, it, relax. That, that trade came down, the high field trade, Phil. More comments were made about... <laughs> Is he a face-off specialist? We need some face-off guys. More than the actual breakdown of the actual player. It's so, so crazy to see some of the people that are just flipping out. If they had won like five face-offs versus Jake Weathers, this wouldn't be such a talking point. But because they didn't win zero. a single face-off, that's the main issue. That's the main issue. It's just yeah. There's nothing else wrong with the team at all. They're yeah. flawless yeah, it's, There's nothing else wrong. The reason they're sitting five and four is because they don't have a face-off specialist. That's the reason. That, that's uh, it. If I was an alien coming to, to this earth and I was just trying to figure out why the Buffalo Bandits are five and four after winning a championship and I just used the comment section on everybody's post, I would believe it's because face-offs. That would every, be my guess. Every loss. Every, every loss, loss is because of face-offs. Ignore the fact that they were up eight to two. And nobody was complaining about the face-offs then. But, you know, they dropped this one. Give up 14 goals, 12, 12 in the last, oh, what, like 35 minutes of the game? But face-offs, Phil, face-offs. Let's dive into the milestones here, the fastest milestone minute in all the land. All these possible milestones can be found on Exit Buffalo Sports Co. We post them on the lead-up to all the games. So if you miss one and you don't want to listen back, you can check for them all there. Before we do the fastest milestone minute, we missed this last week because Ian McKay had a career night. He had 14 loose balls, 
during Friday night's game, which was 500 for his career. I didn't think he could get a 14 because that was a career high, and that's why we didn't preview it in the milestone minute. So here we go. You didn't believe well, Congrats, him. Ian McKay. 500, <laughs> huge number. Here we go. Fastest milestone minute, and away we go. Chris Frazier. Wow. I already <laughs> screwed that one up, Phil. I already screwed that one up. Restart. And away we go. Chris Cloutier is four goals away from 100 for his career. He averages 1.58 a game. Chase Frazier is 13 shots away from 500 for his career. He averages 7.61 a game. Dane Smith is two cause turnovers away. Yeah, it's back from tying Mitch Mitch DeSnew for fourth place in Buffalo Bandits history. He averages .59 a game. Justin Martin is two cost turnovers away from tying David Brock for ninth place in Buffalo Bandits history. He averages .52 a game. Ian McKay is 11 faceoffs away from tying Darius Kilgore for eighth place in Buffalo Bandits history. And the last one here, Matt Vince is 21 saves away from passing Anthony Cosmo for first place in Buffalo Bandits history. That last one is crazy. It is. He has not been here that long. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he will be, uh, you can keep talking. I'll find the exact number in just a second. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, it's great that you have to continue to say Dane Smith's caused turnovers after you thought you had gotten rid of them, but now he's right back up in bandits history doing what he does best. It's also crazy that Mitch Disnew, who also wasn't here very long, is still fourth in bandits history and caused turnovers. Uh, I, uh, the doctor, the doctor is very good, but I wish he was Doctor's still playing good. for the bandits. Yeah, uh, Anthony Cosbo, uh, 97 games played. Matt Vince, 74. Uh, the minutes played are very close. I believe not this game, but the following game, Matt Vince will pass him there. But Matt Vince, 54 and 20 since arriving here in Bannerland. Anthony Cosmo was 38 and 31. And uh, saves. Anthony Cosmo, 3,043. Matt Vince currently sits at 3,023. Insane. That's insane. Yeah. I mean, he really just, just has insane. not... It doesn't feel like Vince has been here that long. I mean, obviously, it's been a, quite a few years now, but knowing how long that he played for other teams, it just does not feel like he's been here long enough to be number one in saves and Bandits history, and the Bandits have been along for a, a very long time. Breaking NLL records and breaking Buffalo Bandits records. So the last one here, I know we're going long, but you know that's All what right. happens when there's trades and we disagree on something. NLL Outlook. New York is in Colorado Friday at 9 p.m. Georgia is in San Diego Friday at 11 p.m. Sitting on the East Coast absolutely stinks for these types of situations. Las Vegas versus Rochester Saturday at 7 p.m. Vancouver travels to Toronto Saturday at 7 p.m. Halifax goes to Saskatchewan Saturday 8 p.m. Philly is in Calgary Saturday at 9 p.m. And then the solo Sunday game at 4 p.m. is Georgia versus Panther City, Georgia's second game in two nights. Super, super quick. Back to the Sabres. Um, you know how they played on Monday against Anaheim? They did, yep. Yeah, so that was in the middle of the day. And then even for the West Coast people who wanted to watch the Ducks, it was like 9.30 in the morning. <laughs> I would watching, love that. That's Watching thing. a hockey game. But on a Monday, too. Some people had to work. Um, but anyway, back to this. New York and Colorado. Um, I think Colorado is just bad all of a sudden. Not sure what happened there. Georgia and San Diego. I think we want Georgia because then they play later. We want them to lose. Las Vegas and Rochester, kind of whatever. Toronto's going to beat Vancouver. Halifax and Saskatchewan. I think the rush, that could be like the the upset of the week. I think the rush have been playing much better, and it is 
in Saskatchewan, so I think they do have a chance to upset there. Philly and Calgary. Calgary's been looking better. Philly's trying to stay in playoffs. And then Georgia and Panther City. We need Panther City to win, so Georgia gets a one and one weekend but beats San Diego and brings some of these standings back to Buffalo. Yeah, if New York can win, get back over 500, it could put Colorado in the possible you know, rebuild mode and looking to ship guys out. Georgian, San maybe, Diego. Uh, that's maybe eight. a Zed, a Zed, I think he's from Zed here, I believe. He is. Maybe he my wants to come be, back. My thought would be the same guy I've mentioned multiple times, Robert Hope. Uh, would love him here. We'll and, take uh, both. Because Colorado's on the downswing, <laughs> if they lose this one and fall to three and eight, maybe Robert Hope can get grabbed for all those draft picks you've been clamoring. But uh, Georgian, yeah. San Diego, I'm excited to see that one. Yes, I will be staying up till uh 1 30 in the morning to watch that game las vegas and rochester two teams that are looking to rebound their season and try to get that fourth win and keep their slimming playoff hopes alive vancouver toronto that one's toronto's gonna blow them out if if toronto loses that one vancouver wins that one that's the upset of the season i'm putting now week 13 that would be the upset of the season halifax is saskatchewan i think halifax wins this one but i wouldn't be shocked if saskatchewan can win this one because i am high on them and i think i have them in my eighth spot in my updated playoff predictions so i could see the rush taking down Thunder, uh, the Thunderbirds, even with you know the goalie con- possible goalie controversy out in Halifax, Philly, Calgary, Calgary trying to get back to 500, Philly trying to climb back out of the basement, and then Georgia and Panther City, Georgia's second game. I have them winning this one. I have them losing in San Diego. So this is a big, big weekend for Georgia, who will play their 12th game <laughs> and be 12 games ridiculous. through 18. It's ridiculous, but they could either be That's six 14. and six, seven and five. Or eight and four. It would be unbelievable. It's a huge weekend for Georgia Swarm. Yeah. And like you just mentioned, like they, they're one of four teams to play 10 games. Now they get once again a back to back weekend and they'll be up to 12 yep. games, which is more than anybody. And they've been ahead of the entire league all season. And yet somehow the league likes to keep them ahead in games more than anybody else. Not really sure what's going on there, but they, they're playing a lot of games for the beginning part of the season here. But Phil, we had a jam-packed show on this one. This was another, one of our longer ones. I didn't think we'd hit 10 minutes or an hour and 10 minutes since the Bills quit. But uh, is there anything else you want to add to this show before we shut it down? Nope. Wrap it up. I am good with that as well. Uh, hopefully everybody joined my side on the argument of uh, the, the trade. I, I think, don't think uh, anyone else cares. <laughs> I don't think either. I think we talked about it too much. But yeah, on our next show, we'll talk about the game that was Albany versus Buffalo. I'll be up in the box for that one. A lot of things happening. I know there's players signing. Rax is signing. Some of the bandits are signing over at the casino after the game. I believe there's some alumni signing as well. There's a ton of stuff happening for Native American Heritage Night. Really, really special night. Go uh, take advantage of that. Sell that arena out and make it very loud because uh, must win, Phil. Must win. Oh, yeah, and we'll talk about the Sabres on the next show as well if we have to. But thank you all for listening to another episode of the Buffalo Sports Collective. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Threads, and TikTok at Buffalo Sports Collective and on X and Blue Sky at Buffalo Sports Co. Visit our website at buffalosportscollective.com. Phil's article was out on Tuesday. Mine is out on Thursday. Check those out. Subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts and make sure you leave us a review on Apple and Spotify. Until next time, bye bye. <laughs>